Hello and welcome everybody to this week's edition of the Truth to Power Happy Hour. We gather friends from around the community and forward radio programmers every week for a uh, fun, freewheeling conversation about what's on our minds after this uh, icy week here in Louisville. Maybe thaw out together with a little community conversation here on Forward Radio. My name is Justin Mogg. I'm host of a program called Sustainability Now, and I'm delighted to welcome a new co-host for the show. Doug Lowry, who's uh, part of Sowers of Justice, our Ford Radio community partner. Welcome, Doug. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for your partnership on this uh, and helping sustain Forward Radio. Also in the virtual studio with us again is Lonnie Griesbaum, co-host of Backtracks. Welcome, Lonnie. Hey, glad to be here. Really enjoyed your show this week. Uh, always do, but uh, it's it's great fun. Good show. And we've also got Jeff Levy back on with us. He's still working maybe to get a show going on the pandemic. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. And our special guests this week are joining us again from the fantastic local organization, Beargrass Thunder. We've got Jody Dahmer and Mariah Corso. Welcome, you guys. Thanks, Thank hey. you. So excited to be back. Yay. <laughs> it's good to have you on. You always have great ideas. They are dedicated to improving our environment and community here in Louisville and have been doing some great work in creating outdoor spaces like alleyways that are more sustainable, artistic, and wildlife friendly. Uh, Y'all have been working on some new projects in Smoketown, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. We, we actually are starting a community garden uh, right there on the intersection of Logan and Kentucky. Yay. Uh, we got Logan Street Market to, to pay us to set up something in their parking lot. So mm -hmm. we're really excited for that. Oh, wow. That That's some space that needs a little love. Yeah. The parking lot's always, always sure. a better possible use for that. Wow. Cool. So even in the winter, you guys are doing this kind of work. Uh, I mean, can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> we're doing two alleys uh, projects coming up this year, and we're doing that community garden space. So we're just doing some wintertime prepping. But uh, our, our big project that we're working on outside of just Beargrass Thunders, we're partnering with a lot of different organizations, including Louisville Grows, to set up the Seed Bank project. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we'll talk a little bit about that later, but I'm, I'm really excited for it. Ooh, very nice. So, yeah, we're going to dive in today to some conversations about um, about how we uh, enforce uh, regulations around um, even just our lawns. Right. Uh, and, and the weed ordinance. I know I know Jody and Mariah, you're really excited about that. Why don't we start there? Talk, tell us about what happened uh, with the weed ordinance. Okay. Well, to give you a little backstory, uh, there are a lot of codes in the city of Louisville. Um, there are three different rule books, so to speak. One is building codes, uh, so how to build a building. Mm -hmm. Two is the land development code, so how do you change farmland into other things. Mm -hmm. And then three uh, is how property maintenance code, so how does the city fine you for not doing what is considered normal behavior. Yes. And so uh, there's, there's, there's a, big, uh, a big push right now to change the land development code, which it, by that I mean um, changing the parking lot restrictions, allowing for suburbs to have more um, act economic activity, like maybe commercial zoning inside single family residential, and that is good. But 
what we are really trying to change is the fact that in the city of Louisville, uh, and I'm talking metro property, it is actually illegal to have any plant over 10 inches tall. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, it's ridiculous, right? Because it is. And so the actual rule that is written into the um, property, maintenance, property code. maintenance code is that any plant over 10 inches that looks uncultivated is an issue. Um, so the fact that it's a very short little, little ordinance. It's a maybe, maybe three sentences paragraph inside Mm -hmm. a large text. But the, the hinging on it being cultivated means that you have code enforcers that come out to the house and, uh, use their judgment to decide (laughs) what is a cultivated Mm-hmm. And so when you bring in codement, of course, you know, with that person comes all of their um, life judgments. And um, like most of the code enforcement live in a house with a lawn. Yeah. And sure. so when they see a front yard that might have, you know, six foot high sunflowers that maybe haven't started blooming yet, their first thought is, why are you bringing down the property values on everybody else in your street? Don't you want to help the house flippers? <laughs> and um, it doesn't really seem like uh, to the city, they care about the renters or mm-hmm. the residents. They really want to make that tax money. It is all about uh, property value. Mm. And currently, our area of a high property value is a nicely kept, well-mowed, well-manicured Yarn. Two inches of grass. Very, yeah, the very short, beautiful, kind of not, you know, lush kind of grass is what we're thinking of. And so anything out of that norm, you know, is considered to bring property values down. But if anyone has seen some of our videos with Rosemary, she has one of the the best pollinator yards probably in the city of Louisville. Mm -hmm. And the reason that the momentum is on our side with this push is Rosemary, the most famous pollinator lawn in arguably the city of Louisville, just got fined by code enforcement. Oh. And the reasoning, the reasoning for that mm-hmm. was that when she was identifying her plants, they said that milkweed had the word weed in it and <laughs> therefore was a weed. <laughs> that it's so. Well, she's she's on board a lot. Yeah. Let me jump in here for a second. So, I um, was the first person, one of the first people to get fined for my yards. Mm-hmm. I lived in South Louisville for mm-hmm. 30 years. Had a front yard. Uh, all the water from Iroquois Park came across our front yard and turned left. <laughs> well, so I drive, go around the neighborhood with my pickup truck and my wheelbarrow pick up all the leaves from all the neighbors, and I actually built soil. But it was under these really tall oak trees. Lots of shade, so we grew grew beautiful dandelions and beautiful weeds. No one said a word. But then when Mm -hmm. we put in wildflowers, hostas, and plants that didn't look tame, the neighbors complained. So the big issue is that it's it's complaint-driven. It isn't just that they go out and make sure everybody who has plants that are over... 10 inches high it's it's one of those things where if your neighbor doesn't like you and, and we found out from some of our other neighbors who also had property complaints that there was one neighbor who was literally calling the city on every other neighbor ah. mainly because mm-hmm. it wasn't very like so not only is it an unseemly um 
effort on the city to get rid of plants and flowers that pollinators and wildlife need to survive. But it also is a process that when you're speaking truth to power, it's weird how people in the neighborhood can use tools that are genuinely meant to mm -hmm. keep property up. And there's good reasons to, to make sure that houses are in good shape, that windows work, that doors work and all that. But it's not fair for someone to be able to pick up the who said, hey, no, you can't cut our flowers. Mm. Uh, they're for everyone to enjoy, and they're here for pollinators. You know, they're not here for people to just pick flowers and take them home with them. Um, so the same week that I got cited for the most amount of money, I was given an air pollution district award for my mower-free yard. So it's the right <laughs> hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. And at the same time, at that time, mm -hmm. I was a hospital administrator. I had three patients who could not cut their grass because they were in the hospital. They sure. were at death's door. And they were freaking out because people would bring them their mail and they would be say they would say that they're being fined. And mm -hmm. I know lots of people in West Louisville and other places who have liens against their house. They can't sell the house. Yep. They can't get a loan against the house because there's a lien. So it's yep. not just, I mean, that that's an annoying and, and irritating problem. Uh, Andrew Kong Bartlett, who lives off Frankfurt Avenue, is another one of those people who someone called that in as a, a code violation or complaint. So it's it happens in nice neighborhoods. It happens in the South End. It happens in the East End. And it happens a lot in the West End, too. So I'd throw that out. No, you brought up a couple of several things that, you know, I'd even like to touch on with, with how... Um, one, you're, you're talking about how you had it for an extended period of time before it became an issue. That's really something that we're seeing normally. We, we have a fan that has had their yard in the same state for 10 plus years, you know. Um, um, asters, a lot of uh, stuff that uh, she likes to grow. And she's maybe, you know, mid 70s, mm -hmm. can't do a weed whacker. And, and then also her primary, you know, job is to take care of, you know, um, basically, without revealing too much about her personal situation. So it's not something is available, kind of like you're referencing, you know, people who can't get out to mow and do their yards. Her yard was that same way for years and years. And you're right, in a complaint-based system, it, when people call, it is not about the severity of the complaint, but about the a number of complaints received on a single piece of property. So, for instance, I do know someone who's called about a dead tree on an adjoining property because they're worried about it, but they only called once about it. They've been waiting three, four months to hear anything about it. But if you take... Um, five, six, seven calls on one single property and all it is about is, is flowers or weeds, that call is going to get um, prioritized. prioritized because it's been called in more. And so you're right, neighbors can weaponize it against other neighbors who they don't like. And even worse, uh, here in Smoketown, we're seeing house flippers use it to target residents specifically to get those um, fines to build up the lien against the property. That way they can later at a later date, purchase the property for a lower wow. amount and, and get a greater property wow. on their flip. Wow. That's really insane. So it, it's easy to talk about the problems and like the civilian review board for the police. Um, I think we need a civilian review board and someone who can act as an ombudsperson 
someone who has some skill in training as an arborist, someone who has skill in training in native mm -hmm. plants, and someone who has an idea of what our actual commitment to our uh, watershed looks like. You know, it's not just the plants, but it's also what it does. We are under a federal court order for the amount of sewage that ends up in the Ohio River that's untreated. So there are all these fingers in this issue that are really driven by uh, property code that not only doesn't meet residents' needs, but it's really not good for all of us. You know, nobody wants to swim in effluent. And one of the ways that we help slow the water down is by having rain gardens and having plants that can absorb that water. There are lots of plants that end up getting cut down that can actually process heavy metals, cadmium, lead, copper, whatever. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunity, I think, for us to offer something as we look at the land code and how it's managed to, to speak back to power in a way that really is very patrician and very colonial. Lonnie, I think you want to jump in. Yeah, just a little uh, sad note to that. I was in the lawn care business years ago, and one of the things I found out was that all of this grass that we see on the common lawn here in Louisville, or actually in Kentucky, are not native grasses to no, Kentucky. No. It's bluegrass. Bluegrass isn't a native grass to Kentucky. It was brought here. Talk about rain. And, and uh, most of the grass is a combination of something developed at UK that they used to uh, seed the sides of roadways to stop erosion. They call it Kentucky 36, mm -hmm. I believe. And what it is, it's just a hybrid cross between uh what do they call it? The long fescue and crabgrass. No. And it got out no. of control and it took over in Kentucky. And I mean, so the grass that are on the lawns isn't even native Kentucky grass. Because if we had native Kentucky grass, it would look a lot different than what you see. It's a lot thinner. Mm. It actually is very beautiful. It looks more like wheat. Mm. Mm -hmm. And if we had because and, and that's a great point because we're not against grass. Like I'm for any plant that the nature can use, you know, and those native grasses, they drop seeds that the birds can eat. They they the, our native bugs can eat them and whatnot. I really do think the problem is those crossover breeds where when you look at the, your lawns, you can tell that nothing is eating it. If you don't like Plant uh, dandelions, yeah. it's real simple. Keep your grass up at about four or five inches. It shades out the dandelions. They won't grow. There you go. I had the best looking lawn in, in Indiana <laughs> for a long time, and people wondered how I did it without treating it. I just set my mower right. up to its highest level. Right, and that, mm -hmm. that, that reminds me of another issue. Lots of the people with the neat, tidy lawns also throw poison on it twice a year in the spring and the fall. And people have no idea about how much poison is actually getting into our groundwater from there. There you can go to Lowe's and buy a bag of poison that, you know, is a, mm -hmm. a broad leaf herbicide, but that stuff stays in the ground. You can also pay somebody to drive around in a big truck and spray it on your yard. And what they don't tell you is what happens when that gets sprayed, what it does to the air around you. You know, it hangs around mm -hmm. in the air. So it's when you when someone sprays that stuff around, they're not just treating that person's lawn, they're treating the lawns on either side as well. It's hazardous to pets. 
So, you know, when we think about what's underlying some of the implementation of this, no one's talking about any of those dirty little secrets. It's not good for kids. It's not good mm -hmm. for pets. It's not good for the environment. It's not good for the water. It's not good for the air. So being able to throw something back to the city and say, let's at least pilot a different program somewhere. Lonnie, you were going to say? Yes. So here's what people do. They rake up leaves, which are full of nitrogen, right? And they have them hauled off. And then they pay somebody twice a year to come back and put nitrogen <laughs> in their right, lawn. Right, right, right. It's like, yeah. why would you do that? <laughs> leave, the, leave the leaves lay. Leave the leaves. What, what I really have had some success with, because uh, it, when people, when you first hear, it's like, hey, you don't need your lawn anymore. Uh, everybody, you know, clutches their pearls. They're like, you're going <laughs> to, this is a bad thing. This is, you're driving down the property values. I'm going to have rats in my home now. But we like to say, hey, mow what you use. Mm -hmm. Because I, you go out to Anchorage, you go out to these large East End suburbs. You think they, like, a lot of times when we talk about zoning and we talk about why they are the way they are, the richest people in the city in at one time in Louisville owned plantations. Mm -hmm. mm. And everybody seemingly in the East End really likes the idea of having a big house surrounded by five acres of completely treated mowed lawn because that way they show that they're rich. Oh, this plantation style zoning the city planners don't like using that word uh it's really awkward in meetings when i use it but it's <laughs> um, the the thing about it is you have to pay to mow every two weeks mm -hmm. for the rest of your life until you die because until and you own that as long as you own that property you're always in danger of being fined by the government for not doing that not on to your property that a lot of landscape contracts that have with the government they're going to cut every two weeks no matter what the grass looks like yeah. um you know there's more than one plot of land that i've seen where the grass is just absolutely decimated dead but they continue to mow on top of it i can go back to the poison also that doug was talking about i i think that what that is is that we do not recognize like how much we are being poisoned it's such a socially acceptable thing just like doug was saying to go pick up this poison that we can put in our yard put in our lawns and ultimately put in our bodies i think here in louisville you know it's pretty typical for people to have allergies. Like we all talk about our allergies. I'm not sure if I've ever seen so many allergy clinics in one place <laughs> um, spread out in the city. And it's true, we're here in the Ohio Valley and we put a lot of that onus on the pollen, but what is really the pollen and what are allergies that you're having an allergic reaction to the mosquito fogging, to the stuff that's been put in the dirt, to the chemicals that your next door neighbor may have sprayed on their lawn? Because what you're saying is correct. It gets it goes into your house and it gets stuck in your system for a time mm -hmm. being if you don't like, have filters. And, and any of the neighborhoods around Beargrass Creek, especially the health department is paid to spray insecticide. Yeah. They call it mosquito spraying, right? They but what that is, regularly. you know, if you mosquito spray, you're killing every single pollinating insect mm -hmm. that could potentially help your garden. So when we were in Smoketown, we're doing this seed bank project where we're giving out free seeds Mm -hmm. And some of the main, you know, critiques are, well, I tried growing, but nothing ever grew. Mm -hmm. And 
Well, if you, everything's dead, nothing, you know, if there's no, nothing to pollinate your flowers, it's not your fault if it never blooms. Right. We don't have a lot of conversation about the particulates that come into the air from mowing. So we think about a car as being this big polluter when it's really riding lawn mowers, push lawn mowers, uh, other types of gas engines. Oh, yeah. Especially the um, wacky little weed eaters. You know, mm. they, they use a different type of the two cylinder yeah. engines. They not only add a lot of particular in particulate matter in the air, but they throw up all this stuff from the ground. So if you've just poisoned your grass two weeks later, what happens when you drive over it with a riding lawnmower and throw all this air and move all this air around? You're throwing that poison up in the air. You're breathing that air. So it's important to think about that. In West Louisville, one of the big issues that drives me crazy, look at the city budget and see how much money they spend on, quote, property maintenance for abandoned property. Mm. It is crazy to pay a bunch of people to drive somewhere where there's tall grass. We have enough wood chips in Louisville. <laughs> and we probably still have some left from the windstorm in 2008 and the ice storm in 2009. But wouldn't it make a lot more sense to just mulch all those properties down? to kill the grass and then let people farm that. If the city's gonna pay for it, what does it hurt to put cone flowers and some other hardy prairie plants in so that nobody has to cut it? It's just maintained, you know? And then there are all these right-of-ways that we cut. Uh, MSD, uh, a lot of people have, have made note about this, how much mowing MSD does in these spillways and other places that obviously would be much better suited for a rain garden or some plantings that slow the grass, not make it go faster. So, We're talking today here on Truth to Power about the weed ordinances in Louisville and uh, the tyranny of the 10-inch standard uh, for <laughs> plants and the ability of anybody to make a complaint about their neighbors because they don't like them for whatever reason. Maybe they're a house flipper, as it was mentioned, or maybe they just got a grudge against them. And then there's no, like uh, like Doug said, there's no ombudsperson, there's no community review board to, to help with any of these uh, thorny issues, right? Uh, sometimes literal thorns are involved. Uh, my name is Justin Mogg. I'm excited to have in the virtual studio with me uh, several other folks from Forward Radio. We've got Lonnie Greasebound from Backtracks, uh, Jeff Levy, uh, who's working on a show on the pandemic, and uh, we've also got Doug Lowry from Sowers of Justice and our special guests from Beargrass Thunder, Jody Dahmer and Mariah Corso. I want to bring you, Jeff, in because there is a connection to the pandemic when we talk about these issues right if if we if we have people suffering from pollution they're going to have respiratory issues to begin with they're going to be more vulnerable to things like COVID-19 right well that certainly makes sense um I, I confess that I haven't um done a lot of uh uh reading on that specific issue so I uh, can't quote papers like I would like to um but yeah um <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll make sure to uh, do that for next week. No, but um, yeah, if you're already hurting, um, then now you're just putting on putting more hurt on, and yeah. um, so. Um, and the other pandemic connection here is that. In the pandemic, people are suffering more. They're, they're, you know, people have lost their jobs. They don't have the money to maintain a, a manicured uh, estate, right? <laughs> and that may also snowball into more evictions, which is, I know, another thing that we're, we want to talk about today uh, and, and how the city handles the people who've become houseless 
from the pandemic, right? Um, l- let's talk about that, Doug. Um, there's There was some clearing of downtown encampments this week that is really just appalling given the fact that we're about to face these cold temperatures too, right? Right. Well, there's two or three weird justice issues in this. The first one is, is when you collect a group of people who probably live in a plantation-style house, to steal uh, Jody and Mariah's word, <laughs> um, when you get a group of those people together to talk about what we need to do about downtown, one of the things that comes up is how many houseless people there are, because nothing kills business like houseless people, right? Um We had a shouting match at a local gathering this weekend with the chief of police, the mayor, and some other people about all these unresolved issues that were behind the Breonna Taylor protests. But we didn't work on any of those issues. What we worked on this week in in the middle of a pandemic in what's going to be the, the coldest weather we've had in four years, we decided to clear out the homeless count at Justice Square Park. The problem with it is there are lots of houseless people. The ones that live, that were fortunate enough to be camping out at Jefferson Square Park won the houseless person lottery because they're all going to a hotel room. I don't know for how long, I don't know what's gonna happen to them, but um, people who are working with the houseless say that it's, it's grossly unfair and it's fairly obvious what the purpose is. The purpose is not to help houseless people, but to give the impression to our community that the mayor and the business partners uh, with the city that are driving business downtown have a plan to make downtown come back to life. So uh, they want people to be able to work in the buildings downtown because that's what drives that downtown economy. Of course, a lot of people have realized that working from home is awesome. Um, (laughs) They might not ever want to go back downtown. So it's a big issue. The first one is um, this administration, Mayor Fisher, has a history in 2019. We kicked a lot of people out in the middle of winter with very little notice. We scooped up people's stuff and threw it away. And I don't know about you, but it feels like it's a true moral evil to take someone who has nothing and take the, the few things that they have and toss that stuff in the trash and go, oh, we have this whole camping ordinance and, and can't do that. Um, So I I think it's important for us to talk about what the moral issue is, but also what the practical issue is. It's not fair to pick one group of houseless people and say, you get this and this just because you happen to be at Jefferson Square Park. But if you happen to live in Fern Creek or you happen to live uh, in Crescent Hill or you happen to live in South Louisville, you don't get those same offers and you don't get those same resources. I can speak from experience being in Smoketown, the Beargrass Creek encampments, and I'm talking, you know, they have, they usually get cleared out pretty fast if it's next to Bardstown Road and Baxter. But, um, you know, as, as it progresses, it either goes up to Smoketown or it goes, uh, you know, up to the river in between. But the problem is that I, I like to call the neighborhood associations out on it. The neighborhood associations only care about the residents with the roof on their heads. Yeah. <laughs> the minute you get evicted, you are bringing down the property values and you need to go. Yeah. And most of the time that involves just sending them to Smoketown. And, or moving them along. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and, and so District 8, you know, that 
the, the big thing, oh, well, we need to clear the camps. It's an eyesore to the people driving the car. And it's like, you are so lucky mm. to be able to have a vehicle. The biggest complaint that I felt like I heard on the District 8 meeting was, you know, um, so no one in general was just, um, you know, we want to help them, but, you know, we definitely don't want to see them. And why can't we call the police? The police won't help. You know, people were suggesting to call 311. And the big issue was that they were like, well, the help wasn't fast enough. Hmm. You know, and um, all about the uncomfort that I think it makes other people. And we really need to reach into that uncomfortable zone and realize that we are all very close to, um, we're all much closer to being homeless uh, than than being rich, you know, in any given day. And um, we move everyone inside. Just like Doug is saying, you know, they're, I, I, I'm happy that the people that were at Injustice Square got help. Um, but it is obviously that the city made it into that situation, especially when they took the porta potties away, mm. the only public place to urinate and go to the bathroom. Um, it was a purposeful move in my mind by the city to make sure that Injustice Square Park would become unsanitary and eventually and, get to. And remember, point. if you urinate in public, that's a crime. Right. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> no, and there's no public restrooms anywhere in downtown Louisville at all. Yeah, but it's they're, they're going to have. When you pee on the ground, it grows over 10 inches high. Yeah. Go ahead, Lonnie. You know, the the federal government, since the crash, the 2008, and even before then, uh, the austerity program that the federal government has put everybody on has uh, consistently starved communities of uh, funding. And they've pushed all of this problem onto the local communities who've seen their own tax bases erode. They've taken away so much funding yeah. and left cities and counties and states in, in a horrible fix. <laughs> because the Louisville, unlike the federal government, can't go out and borrow money hmm. or print money. There's real limits on how we, how we can even borrow money. So... At least some of the problem stems from this problem at, at the federal level of austerity. Let's just keep cutting everything and let's just cut the cities. Look at all the trouble Biden's had so far just trying to get uh, federal aid for states and cities. I mean, it's just an uphill push. And so I think that needs to be thrown into the yeah. thing, too. Yeah, and I'm wondering, too, bringing back uh, Jeff in to think about uh, the connections with the pandemic, when we expect houseless people to be um, somehow thrown into some group living situation, some shelter, some hotel, that's increasing their risk of exposure to COVID, right? Well, it couldn't, it, absolutely, and uh, it couldn't be more obvious that, uh, that that's the best way to uh, increase COVID rates is to get a bunch of people who are susceptible and uh, probably not eating well yeah. and, uh, and um, uh, put them in close proximity. And, um, yeah, then you increase your COVID rates. And um, kind of like the, um, the situation with, uh, where uh, you guys were talking about um, earlier where 
uh, one person poisons or uh, puts pesticides on there, um, those pesticides um, don't say to themselves, okay, well, um, you know, I see a contract here. I'm supposed to go on this person's lawn. I yeah. see a clear border, so I'm not going to go on anybody else's lawn. Um, you know, they spread where they're going to spread, and typically they're going to spread at least uh, based on what you guys were saying, what y'all were saying, you know, at least to, to uh, one house on either side. Um, in other words, there's no specific uh, there's no specific border here. And similarly, um, the um, just like my neighbor's lawn is kind of my lawn as well, it affects my lawn, um, it's, it's uh, kind of obvious, but it's worth saying that, um, yeah, um, homeless people, um, I'm not homeless, but um, I have an interest, uh, even if I'm not a nice person, I have a selfish interest in making sure that homeless people um, don't get COVID because I could walk past a, a homeless person. And, of course, taking it one step farther, if I have e even a little bit of compassion, yeah. um, I I'm not just thinking about myself. I'm thinking about the general society and everybody around me and kind of a general strategy. And you don't have to be Anthony Fauci to realize that we're all safer mm. uh, when homeless people are safer. And so, um, yeah, just to wrap up, um, you're, when you uh, create uh, a nucleus of infection, a potential nucleus of infection, um, it puts us all at risk. And there isn't any amount of money <laughs> that I can make um, that's going to absolutely protect me from those people. Again, coming back to a purely selfish yeah. uh, kind of view, uh, perspective. So whether I'm being perspective, whether I'm being altruistic, or whether I'm being a policymaker, um, if I if I want to be sane, um, I don't want to put all those people um, uh, together in a in a in an unhelpful uh, situation. Yeah, and the the COVID pandemic is also, of course, impacting our ability to even count the number of homeless people because typically at this time of year, the Coalition of the Homeless puts out a big call for volunteers to do a street count, right, to verify how many people are sleeping rough uh, it, in this time of year. Uh, and because of the COVID pandemic, they, they've decided, you know, it's not safe to bring all these volunteers together. Um, sure. they, they are having professional outreach workers from a some partner organizations try and uh, do some targeted counting. Uh, I know that happened a couple of weeks ago, uh, and they are reaching out to to people to still donate. Uh, you can still donate to help support this work, uh, and, and you can learn more at lou.lou.homeless.org. Uh, but th this is, is it's it's multiplying the challenges upon challenges, right? Like that's what the, been the lesson of the pandemic is that it really uh, amplifies the existing challenges we already face. Yeah, Justin, I'm so I'm so glad you brought you brought that up and that um, all all of y'all uh, you know made the made that connection um, with regard to uh, COVID rates. I just want to mention briefly in case people haven't seen this, no big surprise, but uh, the Trump administration uh, suppressed uh, information and um, <laughs> put lots of pressure on CDC people yeah. not to reveal true numbers. So the actual uh, numbers of infection are far higher than um, than had been reported. So we already had, um, you know, the president who had the most scientific and medical resources of any uh, country on earth 
and use that to generate more COVID deaths than any other uh, country. So it's, it was even worse than that. Um, I was, um, uh, I'm very happy to see the people that, um, that uh, on, on um, foreign policy, I'm not so enthusiastic about uh, uh, Mr. Biden considering bringing Ms. Mr. Kissinger mm. and Madeleine Albright on as advisors. But when I look at his um, choices for, for uh, science uh, advisors, uh, Eric Lander, who um, uh, directed the Human Genome Project, I've been following him for years and, and kind of internally rooting for him to, um, I, I've been thinking, here's a guy who should be on the cabinet. Just full disclosure, I'm lucky enough to be taking a class with him this oh, wow. semester. And he's, he's actually, le he's not going to be teaching much longer. Uh, he's you know, he's in four, in four uh, months, he's uh, done teaching this class for four years. But, um, but Joe Biden uh, chose him as his science advisor, and if I read correctly, he's going to be actually, that's going to be elevated to a uh, cabinet-level position. And also Frances Arnold, who, a woman who recently uh, earned the Nobel Prize for Chemistry. And, um, of course, uh, not only are you pretty capable if you win a Nobel Prize, but if you do it as a woman, you have yes. to be, you know, smarter than smarter. Um, so, so, um, so in, in, so I've been very uh, impressed. I mean, he's just choosing all the, um, you know, the people that um, that uh, that I've most admired for years, and that uh, people like Laurie Garrett, the great journalist, and Ashish Jha at um, Harvard's um, Global Health um, Program have admired and recommended for years. So um, I'm very happy to see all those things with regard to COVID. We're gathered in the virtual studio today on Truth to Power for uh, a little happy hour at the end of uh, another interesting week in our city, an icy week. And we're talking about the, the, the state of the houselessness in, in Louisville and the recent uh, clearing of the encampment at, at Jefferson Square or at Justice Square, right? Uh, and we also have a little bit of good news. I know Lonnie wanted to talk about uh, a, a recent Metro Council ordinance that calls for equity in all Metro government department budgets. Tell me about that, Lonnie. I'd like to. Uh, first of all, I, I want to add one comment about homeless. Yeah. Uh, ironically, homeless people as a group have the lowest carbon footprint. That's <laughs> right. Of anybody. And so when I reach out my car window to hand one a, a few dollars, I always say, thanks for saving the planet. There you go. Because that's what, they're the only people that are really, for sure, uh, saving the planet. Not using I mean, any that, utilities, not driving. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, minimalist to the degree you can <laughs> do it. But anyway, yeah, the article that I read uh this morning, uh, Metro Council approves this ordinance calling for equity in all Metro government department budgets. It was co-sponsored by Councilwoman Keisha Dorsey. Now, I believe she's from Shively, and Councilman Jacory Arthur. And uh, right, <laughs> and the the three things uh, that came out of this is number one, all departments must identify and articulate an equity vision. And then all departments must state that their equity goals using the uh, SMART 
framework. Now, S-M-A-R-T, I'm not quite sure what that is. I haven't researched it yet. And then number three, all departments must list their key performance indicators. Now, I'm assuming that means that each department will have to have certain levels that they're hoping to achieve by a certain date, that sort of thing. Hmm. Now, I tend to be skeptical of things, but at least this uh, gets the conversation started within Metro government. And by the way, they approved it unanimously. Wow. So I'm pretty excited about that. Hopefully it'll lead to some good things. And then kind of going along those same lines of equity, I read this interesting article in Reuters this morning about participatory budgeting. Yeah. And this is something that they're doing in Paris, France. And the mayor there, he's been doing it for a year or two. Uh, they've got it through somehow their political machine there to allow 25, uh, 25% of the city's budget to be decided directly by Parisians. Wow. 25%. Now they, right. Now they tried to do this last year. I don't think it was 25%. I think it was only 20% last year. First iteration of this, uh, over 40,000 people voted on 15 proposals and wow. nine of the projects were selected and they included vertical gardens, urban <laughs> sports facilities, and the renovation of outdoor public spaces for music and arts. Now, what I think is really interesting about this is it started by a mayor somewhere in Brazil that done this uh -huh. and had great luck with it. It's been tried in Italy. They've had great luck with it. And the way it works is uh, this it's like a set aside. You set aside this certain percentage of the city's budget that has to be earmarked for this direct democracy experiment. Mm. And anybody can make a proposal. And in the case of Paris, you have to be nine years old or old. <laughs> you, you can make a proposal. Anybody and in, any individual can make a proposal. Cool. And then that proposal goes before a committee and they do a feasibility study. And I mean, for instance, if somebody said, well, hey, let's put a public beach in the middle of downtown Paris, <laughs> obviously that's out of the realm of possibility. So it has to be something that's doable and within a budget. And then if it's approved, then it goes on this ballot and these proceed, these proposals go on a ballot. And then Parisians vote on it. And if it's selected, then it's it's implemented. And they've had such great success. And I was thinking, for Louisville, we've got a $1 billion a year budget, mm -hmm. Metro Louisville. Even if, even if we could only get them to set aside 5% for something like this, that would be $50 million a year. Yeah. And then have private citizens, individuals, make proposals. You know, and I think it does two things. First of all, when you talk to people that don't ever vote, the common answer you get when you ask them why is, well, it doesn't make any difference. They don't see mm -hmm. any difference. Right. 
this is a case where it might get people involved. You know, if they can mm-hmm. see where they can get a project going and they can get it approved and they can vote for it and it actually happens and get them uh, energized uh, in a way. The other thing, it's it's democracy. So, you know, if you're a rich guy in East Louisville and you've got a proposal, propose it. If it's a good idea and it passes muster and people vote for it, then great. Right. So nobody can claim that it's like, for any certain group of people. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I just think it's a marvelous experiment in direct democracy. Well, and uh, believe it or not, Louisville has begun to experiment with participatory budgeting. Uh, and, and you can learn more about it through the Center for Health Equity. They they did a project called Our Money, Our Voice uh, with with the discretionary funding that council districts have uh, in two, in two council districts, six, that's David James's district and uh, district eight when it was under Brandon Cohn. Uh, and, and they combined uh, $50,000 in funds from Louisville Metro public health and wellness and 50,000 from the Humana foundation as well. And, and so citizens were involved in some of this and uh, I don't, I, 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 did not get to participate in that. Uh, <laughs> I don't live in those districts, but um, did anybody else know about that and, and want to add to that? I actually wanted to ask you, what did you uh, um, have a chance to find out uh, within health equity um, what, what that money uh, was spent on eventually? Yeah, I don't know offhand. Um, let me try and look it up here. So let me just say this, you know, lots of times when we make big, big ideas uh, tickle our fancy, we forget that we're a city of lots of little cities. So if you want to make huge change, sometimes you can start in small places. If you go look at ballots in most cities, there are city commissioner uh, seats in all these little tiny towns, city of Kingsley, city of Rolling Fields, you know, blah, blah, blah. We have Shively, we have have St. Matthew. Sometimes it's easier to go start something in a smaller city and then build up to Metro Louisville and other places. Um, Neighborhoods have those same types of boundaries and those same types of appeals. And so I think there are lots of ways to bring democracy. I think many of us want an excuse to do better. Um, Some of the truth to power is acknowledging our own power and activating it. And when I look around at people, I think of Beargrass Thunder. Here are people who just said, you know, this is a crazy idea. And they didn't just say, well, this is a crazy idea. Somebody should do something about it. We're doing something about it. Um, it reminds me of Casa Heron and some people uh, at Louisville Community Grocery who just said, you know, this is crazy that there's no grocery stores in West Louisville. Let's do something about it. And one looked around in their community and said, screw this. We need some food. <laughs> so now you've got Megan Bell. You've got Chantrice Martin you've, with Black Market. You've got the Louisville Community Grocery coming. And you've got all these other ideas coming. So when we talk about these ideas, it's really important, I think, for us to and to acknowledge when people take leadership, we need to throw some money and some resources at people who have big ideas. So I think it's great, Lonnie, that's a great idea. And I think that you're exactly right. A lot of people are never given the sense of their own power. Uh, mm-hmm. And sometimes money is the way, you know? So I think well, that's a great idea. Thanks for sharing that. What, what, struck, what struck me about it was, uh, 
you know, we've been talking a lot about this defunding the police and moving funds away from the police into areas that are more community oriented. And, you know, what a great idea. What if, what if the city took $50 million of the police budget, which is, would just be a, a small dent in the police budget because it's the largest outlay right, of the right. whole thing. What if the city took $50 million and said, we're going to make this democratized. Yeah. You know, this is for the citizens to decide how to use and we'll take proposals and you're free to propose. And, and I, I just think it would get people fired up when they saw that level of money. I guarantee you there'd be people standing in line writing proposals all day and trying to I make good for, and knowing that they were going to have to compete for it mm -hmm. to, with voters, they would have to make sure they had all their eyes dotted and T's crossed. So I just think it's, uh, I mean, we may not get it, but why not try to get it? <laughs> that's a great idea. Lonnie. Right. I think that's a really powerful opportunity. And I'd love to see like both of those kind of even combined, like, you know, I, I want to see my tax money go to those community members that I have seen grow and pop up over the last year, especially just like Doug's talking about, like, I want to see black market Kentucky be supported. I want to see change today, change tomorrow be supported. Like, you know, um, I think goodwill is great and everything but why can't our city money go to the organizations that i see doing real work um you know right. the feed the west and hip hop cares and you know um i just think that there's power in being able to tell metro that that that's where i would like to see the money and go one one thing that i would like to say is that uh, anybody who knows me knows that I love maps and I love transit. Yeah. And this seems like a really good avenue to actually get better transit right. in, in in Louisville. You know, yeah. I, I and you know we were talking about the the houseless uh, situation uh, earlier. The only way we can make sure that houseless individuals are able to sustain themselves long term is if they have direct access to jobs, to medical care, to different areas. Mm -hmm. And right now in the city of Louisville, you can only get that way without with a car. I'd and love to see public uh, research done on what the transit system could be changed specifically for our houseless community. Mm -hmm. We always think about mm -hmm. the people who need to go to the grocery store and back and this and that, but who who else is really taking our buses around the city? And that is a huge portion of the houseless community. Uh, how could the transit system be, be better for them? How can we make Wouldn't it free? It cool if someone dialed 911, not because they needed a cop, but because they needed a ride mm. <laughs> somewhere, you know? It just feels like there are these slow emergencies. We need flashing lights and blue and sirens and uh, people in, in a riot over houselessness. Yeah. You know, it, it's a huge issue. We don't really talk about it. And our economy depends on everybody having some connection to economic vibrance. Right now, you're, the, the losers are punished. If you're a loser in the colonialist system, you know, you, you not only have no value, but you're perceived as being a drain on the system. Um, it, it troubles me when I read an article of, about people trying to do something to make downtown more attractive. 
And their first, one of the first words out of their mouth in all these news articles is that they wanted more policing. Yeah. How tone deaf does that sound to you all? You know, we just <laughs> yeah. had a big shouting match at this church sponsored event. Like, you people are crazy. We don't need more policing. That's not what we're asking for. Yeah. It's listening. Downtown was way over police this year. It was absolutely absurd. That's the last thing that we need, obviously. It's just. I, I I hear what you're saying, Doug. What if we treated our houseless communities not like our community members, not as a drain, but as truly community members mm -hmm. who are, still are spending money and participating within society? You know, they're they're still going to ultimately be buying food, be going into stores to get commodities that aren't going to last them as long as we do. You know, we, we treat homeless people like they drain us away, but we we're ultimately capitalizing on, on, on them as a city. And it's disgusting. With gas stations being at every, like the gas stations, the locations of the gas stations are research to be mm -hmm. in the middle of everything. They right? spend thousands and thousands, millions of dollars to find out what the best intersection to put so a gas station is. why can't every gas station have a transit stop? Yeah. Recurring revenue going to the convenience store portion of the gas station. Mm -hmm. You know that it's going to be there. It's at the intersection of every major road in the city. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't be too much to just carve up a little bit of asphalt to put in some shelter. Yes. I, it would allow people to be able to get around the city better. You could put in public bathrooms. That's going to eliminate waste and, uh, you know, just being around. You know, there's, there's no reason that we as a city can't care for people that don't have houses. Using the stuff we already have. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a giant major money fix, yeah. right? You, We can just reimagine existing structures if you guys are driving around or anyone who's listening is driving around see how many abandoned gas stations you see in louisville and know that they could be amazing transit stations yes broadway and bardstown <laughs> yeah. road come on now yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh well we're nearing the end of our time i just wanted to answer the question that was left hanging about where when louisville did in 2019 it's a little pilot experiment with participatory budgeting, what did people vote on? And uh, the folks in, in David James's district, uh, District 6, decided to put all $100,000 into sidewalk improvements. And uh, you know how much that's needed in our city. Uh, and so the people spoke. In District, uh, in district 8, under Brandon Cohn at the time, uh, they, they chose four different projects, a playground renovation at Bloom Elementary, indoor and outdoor gym improvements at the Douglas Community Center, street recycling bins, and um, some driver feedback signs on Speed Avenue to uh, in discourage speeding. Uh, so, so that's the kind of thing that uh, a participatory budgeting process could lead to, uh, which is pretty exciting. Hey, thanks for checking on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I love the idea that the sidewalks, I know we've come to an end here, but we did participate in a District 8 meeting recently where uh, Jeff O'Brien said one of the reasons that they chose to put the money into the roads was because they could not knock down businesses to put in bike lanes and sidewalks. And I've been thinking about that since I've heard him say it, because I think the fact that a community chose to put their money into sidewalks shows that um, a half inch can be a big difference in making the thickness of a sidewalk can make a huge difference. Yeah. And it's not just the wideness. But yeah, that's awesome. 
Well, we're we're nearly out of time. I know. Uh, I know we wanted to do a quick sports roundup, though, since we just all lived through the Super Bowl. Jeff, you had some thoughts about that, right? Well, I I had um, I think roundup roundup is a is a big <laughs> word, but I, I, a couple sports notes since yeah. the uh, yeah, yeah. since the uh, Super Bowl just just finished. First to the NBA, which is of course not uh, the NFL. Uh, those of you who who uh, uh, those of us who admire the Pope um, discovered uh, recently that he invited uh, a group of NBA basketball players to come visit him, and he was especially uh, inspired to invite them uh, because of the uh, work on Black Lives Matter, uh, connected with Black Lives Matter, I should say, oh, wow. that uh, uh, NBA players have been involved with. Um, so, um, kind of as a as a sports fan and, and as a human rights fan, uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. He's quite an uh, unusual pope. <laughs> yeah, a little, little different than some, some of the other popes that yeah. we've had. Um, and um, also, uh, just a note on um, what looks like a pretty clear case of uh, double standard. Colin Kaepernick has not been invi- uh, invited uh, back by any NFL team to play. Because he's he did something immoral. He you know he took a knee. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, um, in the last uh, I don't have the date on this, but the uh, the coach uh, coach of the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, the Kansas City Chiefs are owned by the Hunt brothers, who've contributed hundreds of thousands of dollars recently and over the years millions of dollars to uh, white supremacist uh, candidates, wow. and they uh, recently uh, they did allow their coach to hire his brother. Um, to a uh, assistant coach position, uh, the brother had a criminal record, including uh, uh, involvement with drugs and alcohol, and recently was involved in a car crash that put a five-year-old girl into a into a coma. Um, wow! So again, kind of that double standard where uh, Colin Kaepernick is too immoral to play, <laughs> but Ray Ray Rice, uh, who probably was involved uh, in a murder, um, is brought on it by the NFL as a commentator and um, Andy Reid's brother is allowed to uh, draw a paycheck so uh, just highlighting that well that is speaking truth to power right there I love it unfortunately we're all out of time but I want to thank uh, all of us everyone who joined today Jeff Levy uh, and uh, and thanks Lonnie Griesbaum from Backtracks and uh, Doug Lowry from Sowers of Justice and our special guests today, Jody Dahmer and uh, Mariah Corso from Beargrass Thunder. Thank you all so much. You can learn more about Beargrass Thunder at beargrassthunder.com. And uh, thanks, everybody. It's been a great time. Been fun. Thanks, y'all. Great Learned everybody. a lot. All right. Thank you all. We'll be back in your ears again in one week's time. Be well, everyone.